You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Martin Kessler of FlixWise and FlixWise Canada joins me today to discuss August's new releases and expiring titles, and Michael Hutchins stops by to talk about the channel's short films. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel surfing, check out Just the Discs, hosted by Brian Sauer. Just the Discs is a podcast about Blu-rays. In each episode, Brian Sauer will go through a stack of discs from various distributors and talk about them. Find Just the Discs wherever you get your podcasts. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. My guest today is Martin Kessler. He is a co-producer at FlixWise and the host of FlixWise Canada. You also may have heard him on the Criterion Reflections podcast and a lot of your other favorite podcasts out there. Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've wanted to have you on since I started the podcast. And actually, that's the whole reason I chose the theme for this month's slate of episodes. Thank you. I'm happy to be on. I, as soon as you mentioned the theme, I thought, well, I can't turn that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, for uh, listeners that maybe don't know FlixWise or don't know your work in podcasting and in film in general, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you do with FlixWise and kind of your interest in cinema and kind of some of the things that you really love to explore in film? Sure. Um, I work in film, but one thing I find is that sometimes people who work in film aren't always interested in discussing film, <laughs> and I, I am. And I definitely love being a part of FlixWise and sort of the greater podcasting film community, whatever you'd want to call it, because it's a chance to learn more about cinema and talk about things I'm enthusiastic about, sometimes things I love, sometimes things I hate, but, you know, it's a chance to sort of grow and learn and expand my taste. So I'm always really grateful to have conversations with people about cinema. Yeah, that's great. That to me has been really one of the, the really exciting things about getting involved first with Criterion Reflections and some of the other podcasts that are out there right now is that getting to engage in those dialogues with other people about film and learn from other people and kind of share that passion for cinema. Would you talk just maybe a little bit about FlixWise and FlixWise Canada and, and the type of uh, films that you cover and the general thrust of the the podcasting that you do there? Sure. I guess the initial gimmick or premise of the podcast was to go through all the films on the Sight and Sound's top 250 list, the films that were voted on by critics as the greatest films ever made. So that was sort of the initial pattern with the films selected. And then I guess, you know, you get a little bit crazy going through that. So <laughs> it's expanded to just films people like to talk about. And Flixways Canada in particular, I, I think, is maybe the more eclectic they're both on the same same stream, so if you listen to one, chances are you probably have listened to the other, uh, maybe mine accidentally, but FlixWise Canada, <laughs> like I, I always joke, it's sort of the, the Baywatch Nights to the Baywatch that is FlixWise. <laughs> but uh, some of the recent episodes we've had, like it's not always just about one particular film, some are more general topics. I had an episode recently with poster designer Tony Stella about films based on Vincent van Gogh, 
like we talked about mm. Kurosawa's Dreams, and uh, and now Tony Stella's doing covers for Criterion titles, so people might recognize his artwork from that. He, he does some of the best poster art I've, I've seen for films in this day and age. And I think the most recent episode, as of uh, th- this recording, is the Wait Until Dark, the classic Audrey Hepburn film. Yeah. And that's with Patrick Horvath, another filmmaker, and that's a really great classic thriller. And I, I have a bunch of episodes kind of on the way, and it, it's a good selection of everything from Japanese horror to Tim Burton to prestige films. It's, hmm. it's a pretty good mix, I think. And I don't know if you if you like movies and you don't mind a more eclectic approach, I, I think Flixwise Canada is great for that. And if you want to hear all the classics and uh, appreciated films discussed, Flixwise, just the regular shows, something you should definitely check out if you want to hear people talk about Magnificent Ambersons. We have Joseph McBride and some big names come on the show and discuss those films. And it's good stuff, I think. I'm, I'm pretty proud of the show. That's great. Now, my first introduction to you was hearing some of your thoughts on Czech cinema, which, again, is why I thought of you for this episode uh, when I was making out kind of some of my initial first uh, year-and-a-half plan of themes for the months ahead. But the first time we podcasted together was talking about some schlocky B-movies in the Criterion <laughs> Collection on uh, David Blakesley's Criterion Reflections podcast. And so uh, it seems to me that you have a really uh, kind of omnivorous taste in film and that you have a real love for all things cinema. Is that correct? In Am I correct in that assumption there? More or less. I mean, every now and then I run into something where it's like, oh, this this filmmaker's not really for me, or this, ah, I, I can't get into Giallo films no matter how hard I try, so I, I can't quite claim to be like an all-loving cinephile, but I, I think in general I, I do a pretty broad taste and broad interest in film. That's great. Well, Martin and I are going to be back to talk about the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of August. But first, I'm going to check in with Michael Hutchins, and we're going to talk about the short films that you can find on the Criterion Channel. So stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel surfing, make sure to check out the Magic Lantern Podcast, hosted by Erica Long and Cole Roulaine, exploring the films we love and the things we love about them. The Magic Lantern is a film podcast hosted by Erica Long and Cole Roulain devoted to sharing their enduring cinematic memories. Join them for an ongoing, informal discussion of the classic and contemporary films they love and the things they love about them. If you've been looking for a podcast to explore old and new favorites with fellow film lovers, you've come to the right place. New episodes every other Monday. Find out more at magiclanternpodcast.com. I'm here with Michael Hutchins, one of our regular contributors to Criterion Channel Surfing, as well as a frequent contributor to most of the Facebooks dedicated to the Criterion Collection. He's joining me today to talk about the short films that you can find on the Criterion Channel. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And let's get into this. I'm really into shorts, so let's do it. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, You know, shorts have been around, they've been features on the discs since, uh, you know, almost the beginning. And, you know, they've been included on uh, Hulu, I think, and they've been included on Filmstruck. And uh, they really kind of took off in Filmstruck when they started doing the Criterion Channel branded shorts. But uh, we haven't really 
really dug into them yet. And so uh, I just think that this is going to be a really fun topic to to dive into this and uh, talk about this. So how many shorts are currently on the channel? Well, let's, let's look at it this way. First, uh, let's set our criteria, no pun okay. intended. But uh, <laughs> a short film, as defined by the Motion Picture Association of America, is a film that is 40 minutes or less. Okay. I know. I know. If you if you're on Letterbox, uh, they recently, I think within the last year, they actually changed over their uh, their criteria for what is considered a short film. Because at one okay. time, I think it was anything that was less than an hour. Okay. They were they were uh, using it as a filter to include uh, as a short film, but only recently, I'd say within the last year or so, they moved it back down to the uh, the MPAA criteria. So uh, that's what a short film is now. Let's get with what we call what is a featured film. Uh, a featured film would be one that, if you're familiar with Criterion Channel, of course, most of our listeners are, but it's a film that has its own collection. Mm-hmm. And I think Matt got into this last uh, in the last episode about how films can also be by themselves or part of a collection or, or supplement within a collection or supplement within a film. But a featured film would be one that is seen on their list they're all films list on their website. Okay. And it also uh, have its own collection uh, if you go to any of their apps. So it should be easy, easily found, easily uh, searched for in any of those apps. Yeah. So uh, when we think about the over 2,000 films that are featured on the service, we have over 450 of them are short. Wow. And that's a considerable amount of film when you think about it, yeah. more than 20%. It, it is it is a uh, important area that Criterion is covering here. Yeah, that's almost a quarter of them. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. So it's an important topic. I'm glad we finally got around to it. Yeah, yeah. Now, when we look at this, how many of these? You know, you've broken down in your research that there are things that are permanent, that are semi-permanent, and that are. Uh, more limited engagements. Why don't we break that down a little bit? What would you consider to be a permanent short on the channel? That would be a film that Criterion has partnership with Janice, and Janice is the licensing party. So those okay. would, should be considered to be permanent, you know, and I don't see any reason why they would not ever be. Uh, most of these films, and there's uh, almost, well, over half of the, of the 450 films are considered per- permanent okay because they all open with the Ch- the Janus films logo and uh, most of those are also available on the disc so that's that's where they're pulling them from yeah those would be things like like some of the shorts that we would find on the Agnes Varda set or short some of the short less blank documentaries right yes, um, yes. some of those those films that that are that are there that are ubiquitous now to the channel right Yes, and even some of them have spine numbers, which is yeah. you know unusual. They're like Night and Fog, uh, oh, yeah. Renee's film, and uh, the Baker Girl of Monsoul, Eric Romare's film, has yeah. its own spine number, even though it's less than forty minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a good chunk of them that are there. I mean, it shows their their commitment to filmmakers' entire output too, right? Oh yes. What are some of the semi-permanent ones? What would you? categorized as a semi-permanent release? Well, this is a kind of a category I've thought of myself over the last few years, especially starting back at Filmstruck, 
they started licensing uh, mainly short films. You know, there's a couple of feature length films, but they're mainly short films. Yeah. And they're they're licensed uh, from many different sources. They always open with the Criterion Channel logo, mm. which okay. differentiates it from the uh, the first group we we spoke of, the Permanent Library, which always opens with the Criterion Collection logo. Yeah. These films uh, are a lot more current than you would expect. I think I I determined that. Out of the 113 films, which is about 25% of the films uh, that are short, most of those are uh, actually in the 21st century. You know, in fact, let me see here: 93% of them were made after 2000. Oh wow! And and so they really are going for more uh, current films as far as this particular section of the library is concerned. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a pretty substantial amount and. You know, one of the things that I noticed when the channel relaunched as its own standalone app is that films that had even disappeared from Filmstruck previously that had been more limited showed back up on the channel. Yes. And they seemed that they had relicensed them to be more longstanding. Oh, yes. all of. In fact, I think I went back and figured it at the time. Almost every short film that was on Filmstruck with the Criterion Channel logo was relicensed for the current yeah. uh, Criterion Channel. That's there was sixty six of them, which is you know more than half of the current films that's in that part of you know, unlimited uh, streaming library. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's crazy. Yeah, what are some of the films that are then limited? Uh, how how would you maybe make the determination that a short film is going to be on there for a more limited period of time? Uh, they don't open with any logo. That's mm. that's one of the first things that you sh- you should okay. uh, you should uh, keep in mind. They will uh, normally either be a studio or a small distributor, or sometimes no distrib no distributor logo at all. And these are films that are usually licensed for maybe three or six months, depending on the studio. And um, it's, it's a pretty good chunk now. Uh, there's over ninety of them currently playing. Okay. And for instance, the the, uh, the films the the new Bill Plimpton animated films are okay. limited. The jazz shorts, the pioneers of African American cinema, those shorts, many of those are shorts, and those are limited as well. The Cheryl Donier short films and uh, and the Quay Brothers, those will not be permanently on the channel. And in the past, we've had you know some pretty big bundles by short filmmakers like Shirley Clark and Jonas Mikas and Peter Greenaway. So. We shouldn't write those off just because they're they're limited. It is something that the channel is presenting to us, and is an important part of their yeah. important their lineup. Yeah, it does seem like those are are typically tied to specific director filmographies for people that are looking to for what shorts to prioritize. Those might be the ones to really jump on those those ones that are part of filmmaker bundles. Right now, some of these shorts feel like they're produced as supplements. Some of them feel like they're produced as standalones. We talked a little bit about the the fact that some of these are given their own collection status on the, the way that the Vimeo app arranges and categorizes content. Is that the best way, you think, to to determine whether a short is considered a supplement or whether it's its own featured film? Oh, yes. Uh, that's, that's the way you can tell. You can go to their all-titles list, where they call the all films list on their oh, website. Yeah. And and uh, all of these shorts I'm speaking of, the 450 shorts are featured. 
And uh, but there are shorts on the channel which are not featured, and they are all supplements to to other films, or they're part of another collection. Mm. And uh, and there's almost 200 of those. And these are considered. Oh, wow. These are, they're not just either Criterion created or let's say interviews and stuff like that. These are actual films. Uh, most of them are documentaries, of course, yeah. uh, usually about the making of a certain film or something along those lines. But there, there's a few narratives in there, too, which for some reason did not ever get uh, to be a, a featured status. Last summer, about a few months after they had started the service in April, all of a sudden, I guess someone there at the channel says, you know, we need to start featuring some of these supplemental films, narrative films that are on the disc and that we have licenses for. And so those were pulled out of the collections. At one time, they were just supplements to the collections. Yeah. And they were pulled out and featured. At one time, I think uh, one month alone, 90 of them was pulled out. Wow. Most of those were short films that were that were part of the uh, physical collection, like the films by Kieslowski, the mm. short films, the short films by Roman Polanski, and on other films, of course, like the David Gordon Green films that was part of the George Washington set. Yeah. How many of these shorts on the the channel that are featured that that we would consider that that they would consider are featured films that are standalone works? How many of these are documentaries? How many of these are narrative features? What are we looking at in the breakdown yeah, there? Yeah, that's that's a good question of the 450 shorts. 75% of them are narrative shorts. You know, they, oh, wow. they tell a story. So that's a substantial portion of them. And only 115 of them are documentaries, so about 25%. That's a bigger breakdown than I expected. I think mm-hmm. when I think of the the shorts, especially ones that are often attached to disc releases, I think of many of those as being uh, documentaries. So that's actually pretty outstanding. Yeah, it's surprising how many films that are actually uh, on the physical releases, which are just short films made by the the feature director and included as supplements. Yeah, that's really neat. I mean, that's always something that I look forward to on uh, any disc release is getting the chance to see the evolution of a filmmaker's style and getting a chance to look at the breadth of a work uh, and, and getting a chance to see how they maybe developed some themes uh, through the use of short films. Oh, yes. A great example of that is the, the new release of Miranda July's film, where they include oh, yeah. uh, her project, Joni, Joni for Jackie, and uh, including a lot of films by other female directors. So, and it's, it was important, her evolution as a film director as well. And those yeah. were on the physical release, and now they're on the channel. Yeah, that's neat. That's really, really neat. How many new short films do we see added to the channel each month typically well uh if we don't include the limited engagements because we never really know how many are going to come for instance yeah. we, had, we had no idea we was going to get all of those bill plimpton um, <laughs> yeah. shorts but if we talk about uh, films in the unlimited library the shorts uh the criterion channel library we normally get two to three a month and some of them are very important is what's what's yeah. unusual is that uh you would get a film that's like the Oscar-winning short called Logorama, which is an amazing yeah. short. If you haven't chan- got a chance to watch it, it won the Oscar back in uh, 2010, I believe. And uh, it's there for you to see. And there's other Oscar-nominated films on there, like Weekends, which yep. is an animated short from a few years back, which I thought should have won, but it did yeah. not. But it's yeah. a great it's a great short uh, animated film. 
the uh, narrative film Fauve from Canada yeah. was nominated for an Oscar. Another film, another short film I thought should have won. Yep. But yeah. uh, uh, you, you're going you're going to find a lot of their their choices are you know pretty dead on. And talking about choices and talking about me doing this research, I was looking at what are they choosing of recent films. And of course, we all know by now that they are trying to make a concerted effort to bring more female directors directors yeah. into the uh, into the canon. And so I was I was just looking at the number of films in this particular section of the shorts, and I uh, discovered that so many of them were about female directors. Uh, let's see here, uh, out of let's say 130 137 of them are directed by women, which is oh, 30 30 wow. percent of the shorts are directed. Yeah directed by by women and uh that's compared to only 41 films in all of the spine numbered release and so that was you know you go from three percent of the physical releases up to 30 percent of the channel's overall shorts um, the, by female directors and that's an extraordinary number there yeah yeah that's really neat that's really great that this is one area where they're able to maybe get the rights a little more easily Oh, yes. And I, you know, short films are just. There's not as many places to exhibit short films once they've had their festival run, and once they've maybe made their Oscar run as well. And you know, I imagine for a lot of filmmakers, you know, having your work as part of the Criterion Channel library, you know, is a really great way to keep it in the conversation. Oh yes, and you can see recently they've even uh, uploading uh, interviews with these directors. Yeah, yeah. Even for the shorts, so which which yeah. is you know extraordinary uh, feat on their part, highlighting the a- actual films and the directors who made them. Yeah, that's really great. What are some other fun things that you found, or some other interesting tidbits that you've discovered as you've been doing the research on short films on the collection? Well, one thing I discovered was I may have a different criteria for what is considered a short film than Criterion itself. Because mm-hmm. if you if you go to the all films list uh, and you filter, there's there's an option to filter, you know, certain genres, and they consider a short a genre, which I don't. But it's at least yeah. it's a way you can it's a way you can actually go to the channel and uh, on their website and discover what is actually a short film. Uh, but they come up with 400 films, where so I come up with 450. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, is there anything in common about these films that they, they did not filter out? And there's nothing in common about them. You know, they're different links by different mm. actors. They, they're from all three portions of their actual, the three different categories that I've broken down, broken them down. So, yeah, I'm not sure why. And then, in fact, there's, in fact, there's one short that comes out that's 51 minutes long. So huh. that was just interesting just to look at that. But I don't, I don't want to discourage anyone from using that list because it's a great yeah. list, you know. Yeah, I do think that while the all films list is really helpful, I I have found that at times, because it isn't automatically updated, you know, I think it's one of those ones that has to be manually tagged and categorized. I think that it's it's just one of those casualties every once in a while of a of an accidental glitch or accidental slip sometimes when people are coding. Yeah, I, I know that sometimes they do miss flagging certain things. I uh, About once every three or four months, I go through the list and I check it against my spreadsheet. Yeah. And then I, I will I will uh, find certain discrepancies and I'll, I'll send them an email. And of course, they thank me <laughs> and they make the correction. And that's great that they acknowledge it, that sometimes they will 
miss a few things, but but yes. there, there must be a, a human factor involved there. Yeah. I can't imagine the file itself that somehow they can program it to create its own filters or somehow yes. uh, they they had to put they had to put flags on it, and yes. then uh, just yes. someone missed. You know, that's it. Yeah, definitely, definitely, cool. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this. I think this is really interesting stuff, and I think that the shorts, like the supplements often, are things that are really easy for people to neglect. But I think that it's also really great because these are these are films that are really easy to digest, that are really easy to sit down and just enjoy, right? Oh, yeah, just in between. Say you're doing something, you know, you, you, you've got 15 minutes to watch a movie, you, you've got... 400 of them on the channel, you know, yeah. well, not necessarily that link, but yeah, you got pl plenty of uh, in between time. You can check out these shorts. That's great. Uh, That's you can great. go to my list on Letterboxd and you'll find, uh, I have, I've listed all of the 450 something films on there and uh, you can uh, kind of filter or order them any way you like, but check it out. That's great. That's fantastic. Well, Michael, where can people find you online? They can go to my letterbox profile it's under michael hutchins i'm also in the facebook criterion channel club and also criterion now awesome awesome well we'll be right back with more criterion channel surfing as martin and i continue our conversation by talking about august's new releases and expiring titles stay with us If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out The Complete Podcast, hosted by Matthew Gasteyer and Travis Trudell, covering the filmographies of the world's most renowned directors one season at a time. The Complete is dedicated to taking chronological journeys through the most rewarding filmographies in cinema. Each season covers one director, with each episode focusing on one feature film from their catalog. The first season was dedicated to Stanley Kubrick, while the second season covered Elaine May. The current third season is focused on Krzysztof Kieślowski, the Polish director most famous for the Decalogue and the Three Colors trilogy. Find out more at thecompletepod.blueberry.net. Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with Martin Kessler, and we're getting ready to dive into the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of August. Now, before we dive in, Martin, you're my first guest that is not actually a subscriber to the Criterion Channel. I'm a total fraud. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on anyway, but yeah, I, I don't actually subscribe to the Criterion Channel. You're more of a physical media person, correct? Yeah, partly it's it's my internet connection, and partly it's, I don't know, I, I just like having the knowledge that when I want to watch a film, it's there sitting on my shelf, and I don't have to worry about what's coming and what's going. Although, like, I can definitely see the incentive of, oh, no, I better watch this movie now before it leaves at the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the extra pressure that, that uh, those of us who are subscribers feel to uh, make it through that expiring titles. I, I will say that sometimes those of us who have been kind of living and dying by the rhythms of the Criterion channel, it does make us a little more obsessive with the channel. And I've had to back away from that for a bit <laughs> so that I can get it back into the, the regular rhythms of my physical media collection as well. Sure, I could definitely see that. 
Well, we're going to just dive right in here. I'm going to do a quick rundown of what we have coming up because we've got quite a bit that has been added. So I'm just going to go over this very quickly. New this month, we have films from the Australian New Wave, including Walkabout, The Cars That Ate Paris, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Sunday Too Far Away, The Devil's Playground, and a whole lot more there. We have four documentaries by Ron Mann, including Imagine the Sound, Poetry in Motion, Comic Book Confidential, and Twist. We have a bundle starring Alain Delon with Purple Noon, Rocco and his brothers, Leclis, Any Number Can Win, and again, a whole lot more on there. Three by Mia Hansen-Love with Father of My Children, Goodbye First Love, and Things to Come. Three by Bill Gunn with The Angel Levine, Ganja and Hess, and Personal Problems. A bundle of films directed by Vim Vendors, Alice in the Cities, Wrong Move, Kings of the Road, The American Friend, and a lot of other titles that are already on the channel but have been uh, bundled together and gathered into one collection here. They are gathering together the documentaries of Les Blank. I'm not going to even try to get through all of these because there's a lot here. These are all part of the permanent collection. So they've all been on the channel for uh, as long as the channel's been around. But they're really gathering them together in one easily accessible collection here. We've got three by Robert Siodmak uh, with Phantom Lady, The Killers, and Crisscross. Bad Vacations. Uh, which uh, maybe will be a great incentive for people to stay home during this pandemic. We've got Bonjour Triste, La Collectionneuse, The Deep House, Long Weekend, The Green Ray, and uh, again, quite a few others there. We've got three by Stephen Cohn, The Wise Kids, Henry Gamble's Birthday Party, and Princess Sid. We've got a collection of films by Bill Plimpton, which... uh, again, is really packed, includes The Tune, I Married a Strange Person, Mutant Aliens, Hair High, Idiots and Angels, and a whole lot of shorts as well. We've got the streaming premiere of Baccarat. We've got a new addition to the World Cinema Project with Lucia. We have a lot of individual titles that aren't part of any uh, bundles. Uh, We've got Rafiki, John McEnroe in the Realm of Perfection, We've got Amy Semitz's Sun Don't Shine, plus her short film, When We Lived in Miami. And then we have Exporting Raymond. We're getting full Criterion editions of Festival in Brazil. Saturday matinees for the whole family of The Little Prince, Storm Boy, The Secret Garden, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, and The Scarlet Pimpernel. We've got double features of The Magnificent Ambersons and King's Row, Hollywood Shuffle, and The Player. The American Friend and Mr. Klein, Phantom Lady and Variety, and short plus features of Minarski Death Plummet, Only Angels Have Wings, Cutaway and Largent, Voices of Kidnapping and Nostalgia for the Light, The Lone Dale Operator, and When I Die, I Won't Stay Dead. And then finally, we have an addition to the Western Noir Bundle, The Devil's Doorway. So that's what's new this month. Uh, this is one of the more packed months that we've had in a while. And so it's pretty, uh, it's pretty packed there. No kidding. <laughs> there, there's so much good stuff. It, it's hard to narrow it down just to a few recommendations. I know. I always feel a little overwhelmed when I see the list of titles that are coming each month. Martin, as you look over that list, knowing that uh, you are someone who has really delved deep into cinema here, 
and I, I feel like you've explored a lot of different corners, uh, both through your podcast work and uh, just as a cinephile in general, I, you know, as I follow you on Twitter and I see kind of some of the things that you're watching and exploring and thinking about, I feel like you're going to have some really great recommendations out of this. I know it's hard to narrow this down, but I'd love to hear what you would uh, recommend people check out uh, from the, the channel. Sure. There's a couple I've seen that I can recommend. The one that I haven't seen that I'm really curious to check out somehow is Lucia. It's, um, I haven't seen that many Cuban films in it. Memories mm-hmm. of Underdevelopment really blew me away. And I, I, I guess there's Soy Cuba, but that's more of a yeah. Russian film, really. So like, I, I'd just be curious to check that out, partly because the film's reputation and partly just to see Cuba during the time period. I think it's really interesting. I guess my first recommendation, out of the Australian bunch, there's a whole cluster of great films there. But I, I think uh, The Year of Living Dangerously is maybe one I'd single out. Peter mm-hmm. Weir film that's a, maybe a little bit underrated, even though it's got a lot of star power. It's got Mel Gibson at, giving one of his most charismatic and interesting performances, where he's, he's not just like the typical leading man, although you can definitely see he has that side to him. And uh, Sigourney Weaver's in it, and it's set in Indonesia in the 1960s when there was a lot of political upheaval. And it's a really, really interesting film, and it's a Peter Weir film that I find just doesn't get talked about as much, even though, like I said, there's big names in it, and I, I think, you know, it won awards when it came out, but it, it's one of those that's a little bit faded into the distance, and it's not exactly about uh, Australian subjects, since it's set in Indonesia, but it, it's such an interesting film, and you can sort of see a lot of Peter Weir's typical themes. Mm. There's a Plixwise Canada episode on Peter Weir from early on that people might want to check out as well, where I I talked uh, quite a bit about that film. That's great. My second recommendation would be La Cienaga, or The Swamp, the Lucretia Mm. Martel film. And that was her first feature film. She had a couple of shorts earlier, but her most recent film, Dama, like I think that's, for me, easily like one of the top 10 movies of the past decade. And I I really love a lot of Argentinian cinema, too. And I, I wrote a big piece last year about a classic Argentine film, but I sort of got a little bit into the history of it, sort of starting in the 30s and peaking in the 60s or 50s, and then kind of the new wave, which included people like Lucrecia Martel and uh, Lisandro Alonso. And I think La Cienaga is probably a great introduction to uh, both her body of work and maybe if you're not as familiar with Argentine cinema, that in general, it's uh, it's a really interesting film and maybe a little bit miserable, but uh, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I absolutely love that film and Zama was one of those just incredible films that just blew me away when it uh, came out and she's a filmmaker I need to continue to sit and wrestle with more <laughs> did you hear that they uh, they offered her the Black Widow Marvel movie yes I did hear that <laughs> she had a really great comment on you know she got excited about how she was going to do these action scenes and, yes and they were like oh no we, we basically like we just do those for you we, we, we don't want the director to actually direct the action scenes and she was like yes. i'm out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. i heard that and i i just i think she is such a magnificent filmmaker oh she's brilliant yeah and i believe the copy that is on the channel actually has a lot of the the special features from the criterion release which has some really great conversations with her about her use of sound and i think her use of sound in all of her films is really stunning and in la cienega is really incredible I find this film just mesmerizing. My next recommendation, it's out of the Les Blank bunch. There's so many. And one thing I really like about Les Blank is just seeing, I don't know how to describe it, but like the cultural nuances within the United States and how diverse it can be and sort of capturing 
a lot of these cultures that might be disappearing as as the world becomes more globalized, the United States included, it you know erodes some of these interesting cultures. But one of my favorite documentary shorts by him is uh, Gap Tooth Women, mm. which doesn't really fit into <laughs> the the rest of those that I just mentioned. But it's such a great celebration of beauty, and it's just one of my favorite short documentaries. I think it's only about half an hour long, and you know, if you want to watch something that's kind of breezy and light and cute and funny and sexy and all those things, I, I think that's just like a great, easy watch yeah. and might be a good introduction to his work, even though it's a little bit of an odd one out in some ways. And uh, of course, the Bill Plimpton stuff, I think anyone should just jump right into that. James Hancock, who does the Wrong Real podcast, and I've been a guest on several times, produced some of these. So it's like, I, I feel the need to plug them <laughs> but uh, I don't, maybe if, if you want to start it off with one uh, revengeance might be a good one I, I think that's one of the ones i started <laughs> but i know they're, they're all great and he's just a bill plimpton's a unique voice in animation and his style's really incredible and I, I think you know anyone who's into animation should definitely check all those bill plimpton shorts out and features and everything that's there my my entryway into a lot of more thoughtful and art house cinema really was Oscars, and a couple of his his films were nominated for short animated films, and so I've seen a handful of those, and so I'm really eager to dive into his work because he is such a singular artist, and uh, I'm excited to get such a great bundle of so many films there. I have a couple of things that I'm really excited to dive into that I have not had a chance to see yet and some that I'm eager to to recommend. Uh, the Australian New Wave bundle is one that I think is... I've seen probably half of the films in here and the ones that I have seen I really, really uh, appreciate, but I haven't really made an intentional dive into uh, the Australian New Wave and so I'm really looking forward to spending some time kind of learning more about that movement. Have you seen the uh, Cars That Ate Paris? I have seen the Cars That Ate Paris, <laughs> and uh, as of this recording, uh, I just finished editing uh, the, one of the most recent episodes of this podcast where we're recommending some films, and Doug McCambridge from the Good Times Great Movies podcast recommended that film, and so that was his short take, one of his short takes, and so we'll talk about that a little bit, and that's a, a strange, fun, weird little movie there. Yes. <laughs> So there's some really interesting things in here, um, but they're there's they're kind of all over the place, and that to me is is always really exciting. That it seems that there's a a good range of of work in this bundle. I always like getting to see the breadth of what's being produced in a country at a given time or in a in a at a time period. So I think that'll be really fun. I'm also really excited to finally dive into the films of Bill Gunn personal problems i know was restored recently and has yeah. been making the rounds it's shot on video so it like i know some people who are kind of automatically turned off by yeah. by that but i, I really like the, the the scope of it the storytelling it, it's yeah. really incredible it's sort of like a it's almost like a mini series or maybe it is meant to be like a mini series where it's this over three hour long drama but it's it's really engrossing and i i think that's a really amazing film yeah, I just I've heard nothing but but great things from a lot of the the critics that I've read about uh, as this was making the rounds a couple of years ago. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to to check this out. Uh, I'm this is a bundle that I just can't wait to really dig into here. I 
would really recommend Rafiki. It came out just a few years ago. It is a film about two young women in love, and it is a really sweet film. It was banned in Kenya when it was originally released. I think that it's a film that manages to have this this life and this urgency and this vibrancy to it. And I think that it is really beautiful and really powerful. And uh, I think that for a country that is still wrestling and, and just kind of beginning to explore LGBTQ issues, I think that this is a really uh, incredible step forward in that. And then the the Bad Vacations bundle, uh, I think there's just so much, so many great films in this. And I really love uh, Joanna Hogg's Unrelated. I think that one especially. I hadn't really heard much about Joanna Hogg until uh, The Souvenir started making the rounds. Yeah. But I was able to wait to watch The Souvenir until I watched through her earlier works. And Unrelated just completely locked me into her rhythms. And I was a diehard fan from that film on. She's one of those filmmakers that I kind of always knew I was going to like. and just for whatever reason, they kept kind of dancing around actually sitting down and watching the film. Yeah. The, the souvenir kind of made me finally do it, but I think that's a great recommendation. Yeah, it just, it, it's so, if you're willing to be patient and take the time, the long takes and just the, the patient character studies uh, that she does are really, really uh, lovely. So I would I would highly recommend that. And I think that that bundle is is really fun. Uh, there's a lot of really great stuff, stuff that I haven't seen, some stuff that is really fun, like uh, House uh, is just a delightful Japanese horror film. You've got Michael Haneke's Funny Games, which is less delightful, but uh, <laughs> still really, you know, if you're if you're interested in some very dark. Uh, stuff. Uh, I think that does make a really great double feature with Fat Girl, Catherine Briel's film. I mean, there's there's some really intriguing stuff that's all mixed in here, and uh, uh, you've got some Romare, you've got some some really great great work all mixed into this uh, bundle, and so I think you you really can't go wrong with uh, ending your summer with some bad vacations, since none of us are really supposed to go out and take vacations. And, you know, as I like to say, Criterion gives and Criterion takes the way. We actually don't have too much that's expiring this month. This is probably one of the lightest months of expirations, and uh, it's kind of nice. We normally lose somewhere between 70 and 80 films each month, and this month I think we're losing about 40 or so. So, you know, for those of you who have not been keeping up, this is a, a month to, to keep up, maybe. This is, this is an easier film month. We're only losing a handful. We're losing a few films from the Marriage Stories bundle. We're losing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Kramer versus Kramer, The Squid and the Whale and a Separation. All of the other titles are going to be remaining in the bundle. From the Western Noir bundle, we're losing Day of the Outlaw. From the Directed by Mike Lee bundle, we're losing All or Nothing, Vera Drake, Happy Go Lucky, and Another Year. All of the other titles in that bundle are part of the permanent collection and should still be remaining on the channel. From the starring Catherine Deneuve bundle, we'll be losing Vice and Virtue, The Girl on the Train, and On My Way. All of the other titles should still be remaining in that bundle. We'll be losing the Directed by Kelly Reichart bundle, which is River of Grass, Wendy and Lucy, and Meek's Cutoff. This is a bundle that has continued to kind of appear and disappear from the channel, so I have a feeling it will probably cycle back through again. 
We'll be losing the Directed by Kathleen Collins bundle with the Cruz Brothers and Miss Malloy in Losing Ground. We'll be losing the German Expressionism bundle with the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the Golem, Destiny, Nosferatu, Dr. Mabuse the Gambler, the Hands of Orlok, Variete, and Metropolis. M and the Testament of Dr. Mabuse from that bundle are part of the permanent collection and will be remaining. We'll be losing a few films from the Directed by Andre Tarkovsky bundle, Nostalgia, The Sacrifice, and the documentary Directed by Andre Tarkovsky. All of the other films from that are part of the permanent collection. We'll be losing three documentaries from the Sensory Ethnography Lab, Sweetgrass, Leviathan, and Kaniba. We'll be losing The Skin from the uh, three by Liliana Cavani. All the other titles are part of the permanent collection. This is a theme in this month's missing titles. There's a lot of films that are part of the permanent collection. We'll be losing Stop Making Sense from the Art House America Jacob Burns Film Center bundle. We'll be losing My Beautiful Andrette from the Queer Sided Turn the Gaze Around bundle. We'll be losing Death in Venice and Husbands, the Criterion editions of those. We'll be losing the Saturday matinees of Born Free and Into the West. And we'll be losing Last House on the Left and Of Time in the City, which were both part of Double Features. So there's a handful that are leaving. Martin, what do you think that people should maybe prioritize? There's things that are leaving. And back in December of last year, I had a therapy session with Matt Gasteyer of the Complete Podcast where I realized that I'm just not going to be able to catch everything that's coming and going from the channel and made peace with that. And uh, once I made peace with that, I realized that it's life is okay and it's it's okay <laughs> that I'm not going to catch everything that's leaving the channel. And so I started prioritizing. You know, what are the things that I really want to see? And and out of that that list of things that are leaving, what would you recommend that people catch before they leave the channel? Uh, for me, number one would be uh, Happy Go Lucky, the Mike Lee film starring Sally mm. Hawkins. Yeah, and partly like Mike Lee is one of the best filmmakers working today. I especially love this film. I think partly for how it approaches the subject of happiness. And, you know, can you make yourself happy? Can you make other people happy? And just sort of dissecting that and examining it in a dramatic way. I think maybe when the film came out, it was a little bit mis compared to films like Amelie and sort of treated like a. No, not that that's a, the worst comparison ever, but it's like more of a drama, I think, than it was sold as. It's not just a plucky, happy lady story, even though it's about a plucky, happy lady. Yeah. And I think out of that group, uh, this one, it's not on Blu-ray. The DVD might even be out of print. I'm not sure. So I, I would say that's one to definitely check out. It's a great film if you're feeling down and are sort of, you know, in the mood for something to cheer you up that isn't also dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a really great film. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with the, your recommendation on that one. It's just absolutely incredible. I was going to recommend the, the Kelly Reichardt films, but uh, since you mentioned that they might come and go depending on uh, whatever the Criterion schedule is, I, I don't know. People probably they might check those out anyway. And I think First Cow just came out, so people might want to take a look at you know how she got started like river of grass yeah. it's really interesting for um like kelly reichardt trying to do like a terrence malick kind of thing early in her career <laughs> and uh, wendy and lucy is really really great but i guess if that chances are that if it's going to come back maybe what people might want to check out instead is kathleen collins film losing ground which uh bill gunn who you already mentioned is in the movie and i mm. think also uh dwayne jones from 
Night of the Living Dead and Ganjan Hess in it, but it's it's this sort of marriage drama, but it's really subtle, incredible filmmaking. And I, I think Kathleen Collins, she she's not as well known because she died pretty young. There's just her writing and the few films that not sit, the feature in the short. And I think that the filmmaker worth checking out for people. And I know there's the Milestone Blu-ray that came out a little while ago, but if people haven't seen it, they should definitely check that out. Also, I'd probably recommend the uh, Tarkovsky films because <laughs> I, I, I love Tarkovsky. And uh, I think his last two, Nostalgia and Sacrifice, they're two that are kind of, uh, not to say underrated, but I, I think like within his body of work, they're not two that get talked about quite as often. Maybe partly like they're, they're not Criterion released Blu-rays. You know, I, I think you can get them from Kino Lorber has, has them released. And they're a little bit more, not necessarily more challenging, but they're they're very Tarkovsky and they're sort of unusual in that neither one's Russian. They're made after he left the Soviet Union. So they're kind of unusual and interesting, his two final films. And for myself, it, it took a while to even kind of come around to like, oh, I actually really like nostalgia. Like at first mm. I didn't like it. I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I like this as much. But I, I think those are two films worth checking out. And the, the German Expressionist bundle, that sounds really interesting. And uh, maybe if you want to pick one in particular, I think the Gollum, I'm assuming it's the um, the 1920 version, I think. Yes, I believe so. Okay. You know, really cool Ufa Studios. You know, it's a German film, but it, it's set in Prague. And it's, uh, I, I've seen the new restoration. It looks fantastic, like unbelievably hmm. good for a film from that era. And, you know, you can sort of dissect some of the themes of the day as being anti-Semitic, but it, like it's just such an interesting, stylish film that I, I think it's it's one of the seminal films in the German Expressionist era. Yeah, that's really cool. I'll echo the Tarkovsky recommendation. I feel like those two films in particular, I think I watched them when Filmstruck was in its last days. And those are definitely more difficult Tarkovsky films, but... I, I feel like my life is turning more and more to the sacrifice <laughs> every day sometimes. And yes, like, yes. Oh, I, I don't want to get in that, that mode. But Yeah, yeah. but I, you know, I, something that I, I learned for myself is that Tarkovsky is one of those filmmakers that I have to just keep coming back to. Yes. Um, there's something so rich and so mesmerizing about all of his work that... Mm-hmm. I know that on a first pass, I just, I'm not going to get everything. No, it's not always accessible, but it's always rewarding. And I, I yeah, the filmmaker yeah. that always kind of grows on you and you always find something new to appreciate. And yeah. I, I think maybe like if people haven't seen a Tarkovsky film, maybe don't start the sacrifice. <laughs> maybe start yes. with like Ivan's childhood or yes. uh, maybe under Rublev. But I, yes. I think like if you've sort of seen those or if you've seen Stalker and you're like, oh yeah, like I, I haven't seen those two other Tarkovsky films that are kind of the oddball ones. They're, they're still great. And, you know, yeah. the sacrifice is such an incredible end to his career. Like it's, you know, he sort of made it with the Bergman's crew. Like they all kind of got mm-hmm. together to help him make the the final film. So you'll, if you watch a lot of Ingmar Bergman films, you'll probably recognize a lot of a lot of the people involved. But it's really, really great. Yeah, I am really excited to watch the Kathleen Collins film. So I'm glad that you offered your recommendation for that. Those are ones that I haven't seen much of, but I keep hearing really great things on. So these are ones that I can't wait to see. And I think being able to see both of these films together will be, uh, I think, a really rich and rewarding experience. 
the the sensory ethnography lab documentaries are ones that uh, have been really intriguing to me. I tend to be a little more standoffish towards documentaries, and so I'm always interested in documentaries that are a little that have a little more formalist elements. And this set, I've just heard nothing but good things about, and so I'm very eager to catch these three films here. I really want to recommend the German Expressionism set as well. I think these are all just incredible works here. I am a big fan of the Dr. Mabuse films. I know that Mabuse the Gambler is this beast of a film, but I find it so much fun. And honestly, all of these are, are really, really enjoyable. This is a this is a great set, and I think that even if you don't have time to to watch them all, if you haven't seen any of these, uh, these are really really good films to catch. And I do really enjoy the Marriage Story set. Uh, as I was looking over what there is here, I especially like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I saw that for the first time just recently. My background is in theater, and uh, you know, so I'm familiar with the play, and I was really stunned by how how sharp an adaptation that was and how well that translated to the screen. So I really enjoy that. I really enjoy a separation and the squid and the whale. I mean, as much as you can enjoy films that sure. are that uh that that Full bleak when it comes people, to marriage, yeah. <laughs> right? Um but I think there's there's also this this real this real honesty about how uh, how terrible people can be as well. Is that where he says Kafka's very Kafka-esque or something yes, like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I, I I think those are those are all. Uh, I think there there's some really great work in that that bundle, and uh, the ones that aren't expiring, there are also some really good films in there as well. I think uh, Juliet of the Spirits and the uh, Nota. Uh, those are films that are part of the permanent collection, but as bundled as part of that package, I think they they are also um, really great great works uh, in and of themselves. So they're fun fun pieces there. Well, those are the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of August. So we've got a lot lot in there. Martin, thank you so much for joining me for this. This was a lot of fun a fun conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was great, and hopefully. These recommendations help, even though I'm not subscribed to the Criterion, Criterion channel. So, Thank yeah, you. I think this is great. I think I think this will definitely give people some things to to look for. Well, Martin, where can people find you online? Well, the best place is probably on Twitter at Movie Kessler. That's where I tweet usually whatever projects I have going on the go. Of course, I'm at Flixwise.com, and you can subscribe to that podcast if you want to hear more of my voice and opinions <laughs> on movies. Uh, you're welcome to do that. Uh, that's about it. Awesome. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at criterionchannelsurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. 
Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to continue to thank all of our regular contributors. Thank you so much. Your support really does help keep the show going. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, Martin and I sit down to discuss Czech cinema. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.